Welcome to today's NCMI podcast. God has a call on every person's life. This call has to do with His kingdom in the world today. How do we answer this call? This is what Grant Crawford, who leads One Life Church in South Africa and serves on the NCMI team together with his wife Sue, will be talking about today. We hope you enjoy this. Please visit ncmi.net for more resources. Oh, good morning, everyone. Oh, good, good evening, everyone. It's great to be introduced as someone from Cape Town. I feel so lonely. So this is a church planters moment. In addition to that, you guys have come to join them. And I've been asked to speak on answering the call. So during that worship, I felt God might be doing something in some of you. I know Ryan wants to minister to you afterwards, but, but maybe that ministry might just happen right now. Maybe that ministry might just happen while I'm opening up a few scriptures. This is what I think is going to happen. As you faithfully walking out your call right now, I think God's going to surprise you. There are some of you, I mean, that's not everybody, but there are some of you here tonight that almost you, you faithfully doing what God's called you to do, and there's about to be a suddenly. Remember Paul and Barnabas, they were, they were going line and length. They were going hammer and tong, prophet and apostle and laying the foundations and teaching there in Antioch. And suddenly the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have for them. Acts chapter 13. They, they, were, they were in a very measured way doing exactly what God had called them to. God said a new assignment. And over and over again, there's Philip. He's in Samaria and, and there's a revival going on and God says, off to the desert road, my boy. It's the Ethiopian waiting for you. I think God's gonna do that to some of you very, very soon. And don't be surprised. Uh, some of you know my, my story, why I'm in Cape Town. I am the least likely candidate to leave. I've been in the church now that I lead since 1983. I've been in elders meetings in that church since 1988. That's a long time. I've been leading that team for 22 years and we've sent out people all over the planet, but I'm not the goer, I'm the stayer. And about three years ago, I bought a piece of land, five hectares of land, next to Hilton College. Some of you know where that is. And my father-in-law asked if you could come and build a house there. I said, you can take your pension money, you're going to put it on my land. He said, yes, I'm going to build a house there. So my in-laws live with me. <laughs> then my dad asked me the same thing. 100 meters on the other side of me, my old man has put his pension and he's built a house. Then my son-in-law, can you believe it? <laughs> asked if he could do this. I said, thing. I said, are you mad, boy? I said, this, I can't subdivide this land. It's like farmland. We can't divide it any smaller. Five hectares, small as it goes. I can't chop it off and give you your ma- millions back that you're going to put into my land. He says, listen, Dad, I'm a few decades younger than you. One day, you're going to die. I'm going to outlive you, and one third of this joint is mine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it through. So the concrete went in yesterday. He's going up. So like I've now got things planned. I'm like stuck there. I can't sell this land because then my folks will be destitute and my in-laws will be destitute and my son-in-law will be very grumpy with me. 
I'm the least likely candidate. I mean, after all, I've been in the same church for like 40 years. 40 years. And I call myself apostolic because I come and go, I come and go, I come and go, I come and go. And in the middle of all this, God grabs me, he slaps me across the head. And for six months, I'm grappling with this call and he sends me to Cape Town. I pop back to Marisburg every now and again because my folks and my in-laws and my kids are there. So the guy talking here tonight is the living testimony of the impossible moving. Some of you have got it all planned out. You've got it all worked out. You've told God how one plus one plus one plus one plus one equals five. He says, it's not my mathematics, my boy. So I, I didn't plan to say that to you, but I think if you're sitting here tonight, you've come out tonight to listen to this message, answering the call, I'm saying to you, as you're faithful, doing what you're doing, don't be surprised if the Holy Spirit says, here's an assignment. This is my story. I moved down to Cape Town in June last year. It's been the ride of my life. When I fly back into Maritzburg, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's like I'm going to a place where I know things are going to be ordinary for a little while. But when I head back to Cape Town, it's hectic out there. It's like I'm 13 again. And nobody knows me there. Which, you know, Maritzburg, have you been there that long? You know how many people are buried? How many people are married? How many schools have opened? You know, you can't really go to a restaurant without having a whole pastoral visit to everybody in the whole jolly place. Cape Town. I'm persona non grata. Don't be surprised if God butts in and he interrupts as you're faithfully doing what he's called you to do. Answering the call. Paul had never been to Rome. He hadn't met the church there. And he's writing the book of Romans to a community he doesn't know. And so this is how he introduces himself. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, the very opening words that come out of his mouth, giving validity to his message, he says this, Paul, a slave of Christ. Your Bible might say bondservant or servant. That's just sanitizing the real word. It was really slave. I belong to Christ. He owns me. This is who I am. I'm writing to you and I'm saying, Christ owns me. The next word out of his mouth, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul announces his letter to a people he doesn't know by saying, I'm called. Your call is very important. Church planters, when you're going to plant a church, you better be able to say, slave of Jesus, called by Jesus, set apart for this particular purpose. Because if you don't know you called for that particular thing, when the going gets tough, you're in trouble. Now, what I'd like to do this evening is just deal with four elements of your call. And the first thing I'd like to say is that in a general sense, everybody is called. And, and Ryan has read this scripture tonight already. But in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this. We are Christ's 
workmanship. That word workmanship in the Greek is poema, which means you are God's masterpiece. Next phrase. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance that you might walk in them. Put another way. You were created originally as a masterpiece. Then you were born again by Christ Jesus. Not just to park off, but because you have been called. He's, he's, he's outlined works for you to walk in. And that's not a message to some holy Joe. This is to believers. The church in Ephesus. Let's break this down just very briefly. You are God's masterpiece. Every human being on this planet has been created in the image of God. Before you were born, God knew you. You might look in the mirror and you say, oh, you made a bit of a mistake. No, he didn't. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And when God looks at you, he says, masterpiece. How dare you say anything else? Listen, the Muslim jihadist. Listen, the general ahead of the Russian army, as well as the Ukrainian running for his life, are God's masterpieces because they're made in his image. That's why the Bible values the sanctity of life. Why you can't kill people, you can't kill babies in the womb, you can't do that because they've been created in God's image. We are his masterpiece. Have you ever been to the Louvre in France? If you've never been to Paris, there's an art gallery there called the Louvre, and it's, it's got this like cool, uh, cool little triangle that made of glass, and you go down there, and the Mona Lisa is there. I said to my daughters, they wanted to go to the, the Louvre, so I said, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go in there. We, we've got a target. We're going to go see that Mona Lisa, and we're going to come back. So this will be horrifying for most of you. But there are these magnificent paintings, you know, Rembrandts and everything. And Crawford and his two girls are just, we, we, we're on a GPS system. We're going straight to the Mona Lisa. Chick, tick list, out you go. I was very mindful. Some of that's like in dungeon. If the lights went out, you wouldn't see anything. Just masterpieces hanging on walls. That's how the whole world is, just masterpieces hanging on walls. Until you created in Christ Jesus. And when you created in Christ Jesus, you're alive. It's like the light of the world is on you. And, and at that moment, not only are you created in the image of God and you are his masterpiece, but now you created in Jesus. But this is the thing, you're not just created as a trophy, light coming from you, the light of the world coming you to hang in your art gallery. You're not a trophy of God that's just hanging up there doing nothing, pitching up on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, all the trophies on Sunday. Some churches are like that. The only dude operating is the preacher. Everybody else are just little trophies, beaming light <laughs> from their seats. Paul, when he says to Ephesians, he says, no, 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 no. You've, there have been works created 
in advance, before you were even born, God said, I knew I was gonna wire you, I knew I was gonna make you, I knew what your tendencies were, I knew what your quirks were, I knew all that stuff, and I've designed it that you might walk in them. But how many people don't walk in them? That's the call. The works for you to walk in, that's the call. Now obviously people get this all mixed up, and if you start doing the works before you created in Christ Jesus, trying to get into Christ, that's called legalism. That's called, you're not even saved. You're not, that, that's, that's religion. But the call, the other side of your salvation is the inheritance that God wants you to live in. And so in that sense, every single person sitting here is called, and this is my question to you. Are you walking in them? Now, I know some guys have said, listen, I blew it when I was 17. I know what God had for me. He wanted me to go do this, this, this. I just, I messed it up. Now I'm on plan B. Show me that in the Bible. Philippians 3 says, forgetting what is behind Forgetting your stupid mistakes when you were 17. Forgetting the sin that came behind you. Forgetting all the trophies that you've collected. Forgetting what is behind. Laying hold of, of him and for what is ahead, you press on toward the goal he has for you in Christ Jesus. What Paul was saying to the Philippians, and what he says to you right now, even if you mess it up at 17, right now, the past is the past, and you stand called by God he has a plan for you, and I'm telling you that next step that he wants you to go into is as glorious as any other one that you've missed in the last 30, 40 years. You've got to believe that. At 53 years old, and my wife at 51, we say, surely not. Surely not. Go down to that God-forsaken place. Surely not. Listen, I live at Sea Point. There's a promenade in front of my window. The things that I see walking in front of my window. I need my mind renewed just walking from my windowsill back to my, my kitchen. But I'm telling you, I wouldn't want to be living anywhere else right now. Because I know that the steps that I'm putting my feet into, it's not your call, it's what God's called me to now. What's he called you to? And no more excuses. No saying I messed it up. I'm not qualified. I'm too old. You're not too old. I'm a bullet, man. <coughs> Secondly, I know it's everybody called, but these works that you have to walk in fall into two categories. There's the general call of God for every single Christian, and there's a specific one for you. And this is the thing. You find the specific call of God when you're being faithful with the general call of God. Can I repeat that to you? You find your specific call of God as you've been faithful with your general call. So in other words, when God is 
called you to be faithful in your local church, like he's called every single believer to be. He's called no believer to be an island and to extricate themselves from the body of Christ. No pinky finger is ever told, unhitch from the body and go and play by yourself. You, in the local church, as you're diligent with sharing your faith, as you're diligent with serving those around you, as you're laying down your life for your brothers, as you're testifying about Jesus in your workplace, as you're faithfully raising your kids, as you're coming to church Sunday after Sunday, as you're tithing, as you're praying for those in the nations, as you're going through these things, which are the general, the general delight and the general privilege of every single Christian, as you walk that out, you begin to hear and you're positioned to hear the specific call. How many people are there just parking off at the back of a church somewhere waiting for some thunderbolt from heaven to get them out of their seats? Here's the news. The thunderbolt has already sounded. It tore a curtain in half. It shook the tombs. It created a, a whole new generation of people in covenant with God. And and set a trajectory for us to move along, to plant local churches. If none of us ever heard a specific call to a specific thing, it would be enough. Because the Bible outlines for us the great joy and privilege that we have. But then while you're moving, while you're going, God speaks. And he fine tunes and he hones it. And this is how he speaks. He speaks through his word. He'll highlight verses, just repeat. Sometimes the verse just won't leave you. It'll just, it'll just hound you. It'll just haunt you. Sometimes he talks to you in dreams. Sometimes he'll talk to you through prophetic words. Sometimes he'll talk to you through a friend. Sometimes he'll talk to you through circumstances. But all these things are, are just contributing factors to this. This is how he guides you. The Holy Spirit leads you and guides you. And so the circumstance, the friends, the prophecy, the, the, the word that you see, the, 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 the revelation that someone drops in your, your, on, on your WhatsApp, they all serve to confirm because the Holy Spirit testifies. The Holy Spirit. So the question is, how do you hear him? So let me give you a, a couple of illustrations. I'm down in Cape Town now. And I'm, I'm basically working with a whole lot of really young people. This is June last year. I joined a tennis club. I meet some canoeists. I'm talking to every waiter I can see. I'm phoning every person I know around saying, do you know anybody in Cape Town that needs Jesus? And then I remember there's two old grandpas living in Somerset West. So I said, let's go visit those old grandpas. They used to be with us in Marisburg, so I go out to visit them. They're like living in their own little islands, little cocoons. They've never met anybody yet. They're little, in these little estates. And my wife says to me as we're driving out, surely you can't be thinking of investing in them. It's like 45 minutes away. Because I said to them, we'll start a home group in your house. Invite your friends. I said, we've got no friends here. <laughs> these are like some Marisburg expats. They're living there. These two old pensioners two couples. I have not heard God to go to Somerset. But while I'm driving out there and driving back again, 
and driving out there and driving back again, hanging with these old pensioners. Even dragged the one pensioner out on a golf course. I only discovered when he lined up at the first tee, he's never hit a golf ball before. <laughs> what around a golf that was. <laughs> then, a couple of young guys. I meet a few young Anyway, the thing grows. And I feel God saying to me, you're going to plant here. I think, what, with a bunch of old pensioners? But I'm fulfilling the general call. I'm saying, I don't know anything else to do. I can go and I can invite people to join these guys. I invited a whole heap of people who didn't bother pitching. This little motley crew, eventually it's about 17 people. One day I'm parking off there in my lounge in Seapoint, getting ready to drive out to Somerset. And I hear my wife talking to pastor's wife from Modifontaine, just down the road here. And she's saying, please could you go and visit this lady in Rondebosch because she's going through a divorce and what, what could you counsel her? So I hear this going on with my wife. I'm sort of getting ready for the home group meeting. And then I think, I shout to Sue and I say, ask your friend if there's anybody down here that doesn't need counseling. Can I have their number? I'll go visit them. <laughs> Sue's a much better counselor than me. So the lady says, yeah, there's this dude. He went to Somerset. We don't know why he's there. He just like left his business. Yeah, he went down to Somerset. Yeah, he's a bit, of a, he's a bit older than you. And so I think, oh, great, another pensioner. So <laughs> I phoned this guy. I phoned this guy. This is about August last year. I phoned him and, and I, I said to him, how's it? Craig, I've got your number from, you know, this lady in Mar- uh, Joburg. He's just silent on the phone. I said, hey, Craig. Grant Crawford here, I'm a pastor from KZN. He says, no, I've, I know who you, I've heard about you. So I think, oh, oh there we go. Maybe he, was, maybe he was involved in that church. I've only ever preached there, but like 15, 20 years ago. So I said, I believe you're in Somerset now. He says, yes, I am. I said, how about a coffee? How about I come visit? He says, well, when do you have a mind? I said, I could get there in about 45 minutes. <laughs> Silence again. Silence. Remember, at this point, I feel God has said we're going to plant in Somerset, but all I'm doing is fulfilling the general call. I'm just doing best I can. When I leave to go back to Marisburg, one of my young guys goes out there and leads these, these old codgers. Anyway, I drive into this guy's driveway. Sorry, you old guys. I'm actually going to become a grandpa in three months' time, so I'm in your category. I'm just sorry about that. So um, I drive into the driveway, and here's this guy hanging onto his wife. And he looks like he's seen a ghost. I drive up the driveway, I get out, I say, ah, Craig, he looks at me, and he says, hang on a second, I've just got to apologize. I said, why? He says, I'm not normally so rude. So I thought he had been a little bit rude on the phone. He says, let me explain why. This morning at five o'clock, I had a dream that you were gonna phone me. I said, you're kidding. He said, no, ask my wife. I woke her up. And I said to her, I've just had a dream. Grant Crawford's going to phone me. She says, don't be stupid. He doesn't know you exist. <laughs> which, which I didn't. I never heard of the guy before. I know about the church that he came from, but I never knew he existed. I said, hold on a second. You had a dream today? He said, yes, about nine hours ago. Nine hours ago, I had a dream. I said, you had a dream about me, and here I am standing in front of you. I said, pal, I don't know what God's doing, but I'm coming into your lounge right now. I said, sit down. Tell me what you're doing here. He said, I don't know what I'm doing here. 
I said, surely you know. You're going to like plant a school, plant a church, plant an NGO, plant, plant a business, plant anything. I'll help you because obviously God's got our number. He says, well, maybe I should just come to your home group. Fast forward six months. There is a congregation in Somerset with over 100 people. And Craig is leading it. A couple of old pensioners just faithfully help the pensioner and let God do what God wants to do. I think I hear him, but actually, I haven't got the prophetic word. I've got nothing, but he gives this dude a dream. That was enough to slap me straight back into position. So we're about to start the church. He hasn't got a worship leader. You know, all these are grandpas that are gathered around him. He's got like nobody who can play even the tambourine. So we're thinking, what's going to happen? We're going to have to bring in a guy from Woodstock to come and lead for him. I fly back to Marisburg, and a young prospective university student phones me, and he says, can I come and talk to you? So we're actually not in Somerset. We're exactly between Somerset and Stellenbosch, so we can reach the students. This was a matric student in that year, and this is what happened to him. Unfortunate family situation. He's a straight-A student, had applied to go to Stelly's. He wanted to be in Stellenbosch. He had been accepted into Stellenbosch. He had zero resources to get there. One of his subjects was speech and drama. He was like the main actor in the school play at a very prestigious school and a brilliant musician. Can't get to Stellenbosch. Joins our church six months prior to this. A teacher who heard his story said in a connect group, there's this really amazing kid can't get into Stellenbosch. Let's pray for a miracle for him. Unbeknown to that teacher, there was some dude sitting in the meeting that the Holy Spirit was banging on his heart. Not even a very wealthy guy. Goes home, says to his wife, we've got to fund that boy. The boy gets funded. He's so excited. He's riding home and he's telling his lift club. He's in a lift club getting a lift back to Hilton. He's telling them that God has provided not only his education, but also his residency. The guy driving the car says, you going to Stellenbosch? God's doing that? He does a detour. He goes to a music shop. He walks him into the music shop. This guy doesn't even come to our church. He goes to the music shop. He says, choose your guitar. The guy's sitting, having a meeting with me. I've never met him before. I've never seen him before. And he says, Mr. Crawford, a very respectful boy, good school you went to. He said... Can I please join your band? I said, with pleasure, there's room for you in our band. (laughs) The last three weeks he's been leading worship. Be faithful with the general call and let God handle the specifics. And if you're not certain if he's speaking, ask him to speak. He want, it's not the, the problem is not him speaking. The problem is you hearing. And sometimes he's going to slap you with a dream, and sometimes he's got to slap you with a scripture. Sometimes he's got to slap you with a dream and a scripture and a friend and a prophecy and a gift. Be faithful with the general and ask him to be specific. Now, I think because you are church planters, it would be remiss of me 
to keep this conversation just between you and God. It's not just about the fact that he's got works prepared for you, and it's not just the fact that he's got a specific thing for you to do. But your role as a leader, and I think every single believer, as you begin to walk out your call, part of your role is to help other disciples walk in theirs. To be the dude who pays for the student. To be the guy who starts the home group. To be the guy who just gets up and goes somewhere and is the answer to somebody else. It, our, our inheritance is connected. And so we need to be absolutely convinced that others, people, everybody is called. And so I want to spend a little moment speaking about how you help others answer the call. Because that's your job as a, as a pastor, that's your job as a church planner, not just to fulfill your call, but everybody that comes around you, help them walk in theirs. Now remember, we're all walking in this general call, but the specific nature of it. When, I mean, we know, you, I mean, you know this, you're a royal priesthood. We preach this, don't we? Everybody's priest is not just the hired holy dudes, but that means if everybody's a priest, everybody's called. Everybody has had works put in front, and, and our role is to help them find it. This is what we do with our starting point. Now, some of you will be starting churches, and I'm going to say to you, God is going to send you visitors. What are you going to do with those visitors? What are you going to do with them? Because if you're faithful with a few of them, he's going to give you more. If you're unfaithful with a few of them, you know, sovereignly, he'll send more, come or come your way, but, but faithful with a little, he entrusts you with much. What are you going to do with those who come? So over the years, we've had things that we've called, you know, looking in and DNA and foundations or whatever. Anyway, we call this thing starting point. What we used to do in starting point is what we used to do when people visited our church is we used to say to them, this is our history, this is our doctrine, this is our values, these are all the people, and this is how you can get involved. And people were very polite, and they sat there and listened to it. And we did this for decades. Until one day I asked the question, I said, Lord, why do people join a church, and what are they asking? Do you know that 99% of the people aren't asking what your doctrine is? The ones who are interested have already found out. They went online, they listened to some sermons, and they checked out your statement of faith. But 99% of others, they just trust that you're not a cult. <laughs> Most people aren't really concerned about your values. You live your values. You should be preaching them, but essentially you should be living them. Most people aren't really concerned about your history. We used to tell this story. Ray Oliver, 49 years ago, left Zimbabwe, came down the hill, downtown hill, to a little city called Peter Marisburg. Ten students meeting in the Capitol Towers Hotel. Who cares? That's like half a century ago. Anyway, they used to sit there politely listening to our story, listening to our doctrine, listening to our values, listening to, our, listening to the whole lot. And I said, Lord, what, is, what are they asking? You know what they're asking when a new person comes to your church? Especially you guys are planting. This is what they're asking. Have these people seen me? Have these people heard me? Can these be my people? Can I fit in here? 
1% might be concerned with vision and doctrine and values. But essentially, they're asking that question. And while you're busy going through your vision, values, doctrine, history, they're trying to make up this. Are they hearing me? Are these going to be my people? Do they want me? Have I got a role to play? How can I fit? So I realize that every person that comes, I've got to ask myself this question. God, have you sending to them to me? Why? And, and I want to help them find why God's called them here. To walk out the general will of God, of course. But, but more than that. And so this is what I do. Now that I'm in Cape Town. And I'm at the coalface. When people come to church, we get their details. COVID makes that so easy, by the way, but it doesn't matter how you're doing it. <laughs> what, what we used to do is we used to, you know, make people put up their hands and we gave them a pack. We said, this is a visitor's pack. But we were quite sneaky. The visitor's pack was Lumo Pink, an A4 size. Couldn't hide in a Bible. So if a big dude was wandering around with a pink envelope, you knew exactly. You might as well have put a star on his head and said he's a visitor. That's what we did before COVID. Now that COVID has made it protocol when you go to Wimpy or go anywhere to write your name down. We get their names. We get their names. We invite them immediately to starting point. If it's not that Monday night, it's that Tuesday night. I would rather have a starting point every week of four people than have one every eight weeks or 40. Because I tell you why, in those eight weeks, they've pushed off, man. They've made the decision, these people don't want me, they don't hear me, they don't see me, I can't fit. If you're answering that question, it's better to have it smaller. So they come to my lounge there at Seapoint. And I tell them this story. I tell them, you know, how long we've been married and we have a bit of fun with them, but this is what happens. As they come in the door, I've memorized every person that's coming because my wife invited them and she told me what to remember. So I've just got a whole lot of names and I'm just got to put faces to those names. I happen to remember jobs very easily. So I tie a job to a name as they come in the door. If, because remember, they're asking this question, do I fit, do I, do I belong, are they listening to me, or are they hearing me? If it's awkward, I bail I bail out very quickly and I call the meeting and we start to go through something formal. If there's a bit of chemistry, I let it go a bit. But I'm trying to work the whole room to find out what everybody does, what everybody's name is. So there's 17 guys sitting in the room. I will start and I will introduce each one. If I make a mistake, they don't care because I've only just met them. They expect me to make a mistake. But if I remember just one detail about them, let's say I get their name wrong, but I remember their job, or I get their job wrong, but I remember where they're from. They've been heard. And then when I go past each one, I say, is there anything else you want to say, or have I got it right? The shy ones say, no, you've got it right. The ones who want center of attention, well, they just take their moment. But we've heard them. We've seen them. Once we've gone through the whole thing, we might just break a little bit of ice by telling us how we got married, what, what, just, just a bit of a time waster. And then I tell them this story. Forgive me if one or two of you have heard this before. But since we've got to Cape Town, my wife has discovered online shopping. You don't get that in Hilton. 
Nobody delivers to your farm in Hilton. So now she, she has online delivery every day, multiple times. Woolies arrives, checkers arrives, pick and pay. She has races actually to see which is quicker. Anyway, she loves it. She loves it. And these delivery guys have got to know us. But they never, ever get past our front door. In fact, we're the ground flat in this apartment right opposite the sea. And so often we just throw open the windows and Mr. Pick and Pay comes in and he hands in through the window. And he looks in and he makes an assessment of us. So I tell the starting point this. I say this is how people connect to the Crawford house. There's a whole bunch of delivery guys who've made up their mind about us. They think we're weirdos. <laughs> they, they've seen the movies we watch. They've seen my wife. They've, they've seen what her husband's singing like in his pajamas in the back there. They've made up their mind about these weird old folks that are in the corner flat. People have made their mind up about your church like that. They engage your church. And I say, some of you guys that are sitting in my lounge today have been popping into One Life Church like that. You've popped onto the website and you made all sorts of assumptions about us, haven't you? You've been popping in the window. But you know, that isn't how, biblically, people are connected into a church. I said, you know what we do here on Saturdays? And any of you guys are welcome. When the Sharks are playing, I'm not a Providence supporter yet. When the Sharks are playing, we have a bra, everybody's welcome. We come down, we watch on my big TV, and, and you know, people arrive when they're invited, and they leave hopefully when they're supposed to. They arrive with their little contribution, their offering of chips and bultong and a drink or two. And it's really great. And you know, when they don't pitch the next week, we know that they're missing and we miss them. And people connect to church like that. They come every time there's an event, Sunday event, and they get involved in the program. The Sharks score, hands up. Jono gets up there, hands up. Bring your little offering, pop it down there. Come when you expect it, leave very politely. Not that that's wrong, so I'm looking around these guys in the room and I say, you guys could connect with one life like that, but, but there's another way. And this one particular night, I said, you see that room there? I've got a second bedroom. Marcus has slept there. You guys ask him. It's, it's like a cupboard. It's got no outside windows. It's got these louvers. It's got double bunk beds in there. So when Marcus came to stay, Adele wasn't with him, otherwise they would have got the main bedroom. But anyway, Marcus was on his own, so I put him in the cupboard. And we closed the louvers. So <laughs> Tyron's coming down in April. And I said to Marcus, just send him to my cupboard, man. I don't think his wife's with him. Anyway, on this particular occasion, it wasn't Marcus. It was one of our guys, Tommy Kwabaza, who's, who's one of our pastors, phones me up and says, listen, I'm coming to Cape Town. Can I come and shack up at your place? I didn't invite him. Invited himself. So I said to the guy sitting there, actually, you know, there's a guy in our, in our cupboard. They said, like, what? I said, yo, his name's Tommy. He, he's a, a, a guy from KZN. He's in my cupboard. And so they're like horrified. So we opened up the louvers just to check. You can check all this stuff in there. And I say, Tommy wasn't invited, but he felt the liberty to come anyway. When he arrives, he just like empties my fridge. I didn't like say he could, but he just did. Why? Because he's part of my family. That's what church is like. And if you get part of this church, we want you in the family. And the difference between the guy who comes to watch rugby and Tommy is that Tommy comes anytime. He doesn't, he doesn't need an invite. He rolls up his sleeves. He helps. That's what family does. He helps get the bra ready. 
And so then I say to them, well, there, you might ask the question, if you don't want to be a delivery boy, if you don't want to be a rugby attender, but you want to be part of the family, how does that happen? So then I say to them, but tell you what, I talked to them about the general call of God and serving on a Sunday. And I talked to them about getting involved in home group on a, another night of the week. And so I'm sitting watching this about three weeks ago, and there's a guy from Joburg. He, he used to run a youth group at Rosebank Union. He arrives in Cape Town. I know his family. He comes into that starting point that night, 17 in the room. I haven't seen him for 12 years. The first 12 years of his life, he was in our church. So I know his family. I know him. was at his baptism. He comes to Joburg. He hooks up with Rosebank Union. Now he's in my lounge. He's six foot three. He looks like Jesus. He's got this long hair. It's curly. Big beard. He's 24, 25 years old. And he walks the room. He stalks the room as if he, like, he owns my house. I looked at him and I said to Sue, this guy's got a call of God in his life. I say to the pastors the next day that are with me down there, we must make this guy, John, we must make him a hunger pleader. They said, hang on, Grant. He's only been to one service. He's been at One Life 24 hours. So I said, look, I'm going to phone his old man. So I phoned his dad. He's a friend of mine. I said, listen, did your son go and do like the prodigal thing? No, no, he loves God. And I believe his dad, you know, his dad's an honest man. And so I said to the, the elders, look, man, this guy, he's... So they said, now, come on, Grant, 48 hours, at least give it a week or two. So I said, okay, if he comes to church on Sunday, I'm asking him. So he comes to church the next Sunday. I was so chuffed. He walks into the church service. Remember, this is like teeming with students, a whole bunch of young guys, and he's tall, six foot three. And I just checked this blonde man wandering around saying hello to people. I thought, God, you've sent him. Now, I know that he's got a general, there's a, he can be involved just in the general stuff that the church is doing, but I can see something on his life. So I sent him a voice note. Hi, John. This might seem a little bit soon. After all, I haven't seen you for the last 12 years. But I can see a call of God on your life. And as you can see, we need home group leaders fast. How would you like to be a home group leader? If, I haven't called him a deacon. Relax, those guys who think I'm making, laying your hands on him. I haven't. A deacon, 1 Timothy chapter 3, must first be tested. And then you let him serve as a deacon, right? How are you going to test him? Give him a trial run. What's the worst thing that can happen? <laughs> so I said to him, I, I chuckled on my voice note, and I said to him, listen, if it's too early, I realize that, you know, you know, seven days and 24 hours is quite early, so you can just give me a thumbs down. Straight away, the text comes back. Thank you so much, Grant, for asking me. It's definitely not too soon. You see, he didn't read the handbook that said leaders have to go on a one-year leadership course. I would love to. What's tonight? Tomorrow night in Rondebosch is his third week of leading a home group. There were Americans there that night. These Americans, I found out, led a church for 20 years. Two delightful teenage daughters, mom and dad, are now traveling the world. But they were part of a strange church wives were not allowed to go anywhere near the microphone. In addition to that, they did not believe in musical instruments. 
So he led a church for 20 years with a cappella singing. And women are not allowed to speak. And I said, and so you've joined us. How did you handle praise and worship? He says, well, I'm just rolling with it. What do you do with a guy like that? Remember, he's got the most gregarious little girls who love Jesus, but have never been allowed to speak about him. And he said he's with us for four months, and then he's going off to India or somewhere. I phone him up straight off the starting point. He's only been with us 24 hours. And I, I say to him, I say to him, bud, I've got a job for the Americans. He said, a job for the Americans? I said, I know you're a pastor, so you know what I'm up to. I said, meet me at the church half an hour before it starts on Sunday. So he arrives, his girls all dressed up to the nines. I drag, because at that stage we weren't taking names down. COVID's almost over. I've suddenly come to the party. I drag the table in front of the door, and I get these Americans to stand there, and I said to him, but you've got one job. Don't let one human being pass this door without spraying them with spray, without loving them with all your American charm, and without getting their name on a piece of paper. He says, I can do that. He's in no danger of spreading his theology. He's in no danger of dampening our worship. He is in serious danger of finding a new way of doing church. He is in serious danger of his children being released into some sort of ministry. He sends me a text later that night. He says, Grand, 100% success rate tonight. The owner of the building comes to me halfway through the service. He says, who's those American dudes? I said, why? He said, they made me sign into my own building. <laughs> our job, our job is to help people find their call. And you want to get the ship moving. You want to help them fulfill the general call because while they're walking in the general call, God can speak specifically. I believe that God, John is going to preach. It would not surprise me if he leads a very significant church. But for now, he's coming rank and file together with us on a journey trying to disciple young retrobate varsity students. How do I bring this to a close? We need this conviction, man, as church planters and as leaders of churches, that God has prepared good works for everybody, which means everyone's a leader. That's a controversial statement in some circles. Some people say, oh, no, 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 there's a gift of leadership. Give me a break. If the king of kings is in you, if the Lord of lords is in you, if the governor of governors is in you and you let him out, he's going to lead something through you. Firstly, you're going to lead yourself. The Holy Spirit enables you to have that self-discipline. Then you're going to lead your family if you get one. Then you're going to lead non-believers to Christ. And if you carry on walking in that way, he's even going to give you some Christians to lead.
You've got to believe that every Christian is a leader. Are we, some are five talents, some are a thousand talents, some are two talents. But if, if Jesus finds expression in your life, you are going to lead. Now, not everybody's qualified to lead in the church, but everybody's got to be trained to lead. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. The way that it advances is Christ in us changes, moves, breaks into darkness. That's leadership. That's pushing back darkness. That's calling people to come with us. That's leadership. Now, if you're planning a church, this is for everybody to listen to, but I'm particularly talking to the church planters. Developing leaders has to be something that you do constantly. I'll give you five. Consider it like a pipeline with valves in the pipeline. And if you don't pay attention to all these valves, you're going to jam up the production of leaders. Have you got the picture? The first valve that you've got to have open in this pipeline is everybody should be serving. That's why I've given you two stories that's why I tell the story about the lounge and the kitchen, is that everybody hands on deck. Because leadership in the kingdom is service. If you can't serve, if you can't put out chairs, pour coffee, stand at a door, help with some cables, if you can't serve in a mundane way, you shouldn't be leading God's people. And so you've got to create environments for people to serve, to lay down their life, to minister in that way, just serving. And it's from the pool of people that are serving that we pick our leadership development. So you've got to have that valve open. You've got to have that valve open, which is service. And then you've got to call leadership out of them. That text to John Henning, sorry, I just told you a surname. Some of you know him. That, that text to that guy was that I can see a call of God on your life. Now, he probably knew he had a call of God because he was a youth leader. But most people don't volunteer to lead. You know that. They don't think they qualify. They, they're not, not presumptuous enough to put up their hand. So you've got to call it out of them. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus came down from the mountain having prayed with God. And he called his disciples that they might be with him. He called it out of them. And so you, you should have a list, if you're, home, if you're a home group leader, if you're a church planter, a list of people that you've called it out of them. I can see that in you. I can see that in you. I can see that in you. Until you call it out of them, they're not moving. They might serve, but they're not moving anywhere along finding out what God's called them to. Once you've called it out of them, then you begin to train them. And you say, what training did you give that young guy? He's getting trained on the job. I put him in touch with one of our established leaders from the moment he said yes, and that guy was in his first two connect group meetings just to make sure that you know, he was heading in the right direction. Are you saying, God, that's hopelessly inadequate? There should be classroom training. There should be on-the-job training. Jesus did it on the job. I wonder how ready Judas was when he sent out the 12. You know, he didn't send out the 11. He sent out the 12. I wonder how ready Thomas was or what a good idea Thomas thought it was. I'm sure Thomas had all the negatives lined up and yet he released him, trained him on the job. So you, 
You establish a culture of serving. You call it out of them. You begin to train them on the job and whatever your church is doing. And then you need to release them. In other words, get them going. Now with us, with the home groups we're running right now, we've got a very structured system where, you know, the content of what they're talking about, we've helped them with that. Sometimes you can get people going in like alpha groups to start with or starting with just helping assist lead a group, whatever it is, it's like getting them going. You don't want them to just chuck them out there and say, go, give it a go. You've got to release them. And then finally, you've got to encourage them till Jesus returns. If you're not doing that continuously with all your people, encouraging them to serve, calling it out of them, training them, releasing them, and encouraging them, if one of those valves stop, your pipeline of leadership stops. If you're a church planter, remember that. Create environments to serve, call it out, train them, set them up for success, and encourage them till Jesus returns. If you don't encourage them till Jesus returns, they will retire as fast as you bring the new ones in. We've done enough talking, let's stand together. I started by saying that as you faithfully fulfilling the general call of God in your life, don't be surprised if God comes with something unexpected. I don't know how late you guys go to bed. Marisburg, they're all asleep already. Cape Town, the sun hasn't set yet. Let's pray. I'd like to pray for two groups of people. In the first group, those of you who are in a position of leadership, you're leading your church, you're leading your people, you're about to plant a church. And my last point tonight was you've got to help people find their call. Help them walk in the general call and then help them discern the specific call. If you really trust in God for that, just right now, maybe raise your hands toward heaven and say, God, help me. Give me eyes to see what you see in them. Give me skill to call it out of them. Show me what you're doing. And then take over. Holy Spirit, take over. Hand them into the Lord's hands, friends. Pray for them. Pray for them. A miracle of the miracle of the miracle in people's lives will take place as they hear God. You want them to hear God. You can't hear God for other people. Well, you can. You can give a word to them, but they need to hear God. As people that he's given you. Father, I pray for skill to come upon your leaders now. In Jesus' name. Now, just before I hand this meeting back to Ryan, do you, you here tonight and you know God's got something for you allow him to speak to you allow him to speak to you maybe he has and you're saying Lord just confirm it I need the courage it took me six months to plow through it before I said yes come Holy Spirit talk to your people Speak in this song. Speak through your word. Testify. Testify with theirs. With their spirit. Speak, Holy Spirit.
confirm his word with signs following. As he speaks in your heart, he confirms his word. He, he wants you to hear him. We don't go out there looking for signs. We're looking for God. We're straining for his voice. And I pray, Lord, that you would confirm, whether it be now, whether it be tomorrow, whether it be next week. Everyone who's come out tonight, Lord, is hungry for you to hear your call. Some of you have been faithful for years. You're saying, Lord, how much longer? You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. And he has prepared good works that you might walk in them. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.